Hello, baby. You're listening to My Perfect Playlist with me, Mark Nelson. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of My Perfect Playlist. Unlucky number 13. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us. I have. I hope you're all well. I've got a wonderful guest today. My guest today is Kirsten Innes, who is a Scottish novelist, a very, very successful, very, very awarded Scottish novelist, also a Scottish journalist as well. Uh, she's books uh, Fishnet, which won the Guardian's Not the Booker Prize. Her most recent novel was called Scabby Queen. And uh, she has also recently written a book called Brickwork, which is a history of the Archies, which... Uh, if you are a music fan, you will know is probably one of the most, well, not probably, it is one of the most celebrated nightclubs and dance venues in the entire world. Um, sadly, no longer with us uh, because Glasgow City Council, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say they sold it so that it could go into flats, but that that's what happened. Like They basically destroyed... The cultural significance of a place that has hosted Fatboy Slim, has hosted Orbital, has hosted the Chemical Brothers, has hosted pretty much every single massive DJ in the world and has been responsible for the rise of dance music in Britain and indeed the world and Glasgow City Council sold it off because they wanted to put in what is now basically just a small number of indoor cafes and... There'll probably be student accommodation goes up at some point. There's some corruption. At least, at least they had the decency to not burn this one to the ground and claim it was an accident, like they have tried to do with the art school twice. So, well done, Glasgow City Council. Anyway, conspiracy theories and my hatred for Glasgow City Council aside, eh, it's a cracking episode. Really, really interesting tracks. Really, really interesting chat. So, enjoy. Kirsten, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. No, I really appreciate you being on. Uh, and uh, just just to be completely open with people listening, um, this is the second time we've done this awkward <laughs> introduction because, as folk will know, my technical my technical skills aren't the best, so I forgot to start the record at the start. I, I, so. I was being I was being really spontaneous there. I was doing my good spontaneous acting. <laughs> 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 ah, they know, they know. Uh, right, your opening track, which is a, a fantastic playlist, like I'll tell you again, it is, and even going through it, it's just phenomenal. Opening track, Tightrope by Janelle Monet. This is just about my favourite song of all time. Mm. <laughs> I love this song. I love Janelle Monáe. She's, um, I would like to kind of spend some time inside her head. I love that everything she does is, you know, it's, she doesn't just release a song. She releases a concept yeah. around the song. Um, you know, she, she, her entire 
aesthetic is amazing, but I love the intelligence and the musical complexity that she puts behind it. I mean, this song has got brass. It's got this sort of, you know, it's, it's touching on, like you said, the movie Metropolis. It's, it, 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 it touches on so many strange and different and wonderful things. There's, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I absolutely love it. I love a song that builds. I love a song with a wall of sound. I love a song with a lot of bass line. I love everything about this. Songs that make me think, but also let me have a good time. And yeah. that is ultimately what this song does. I mean, for for, for when it's coming out, it, it's got it's got that incredible class jazz kind of feature. I mean, as I mean, this could be an Aretha Franklin song easily. Yeah, yeah, it's um, phenomenal. But she kind of arranges all the music around it as well mm-hmm. to just kind of create. Um, like we were saying, there's a there's a bit where um, she goes, uh, she she stops the music, she has a breakdown, and she introduces her horn section. Yeah. The funkiest little horn section in the <laughs> yeah. side of Metropolis. Uh, the, we call that classy brass, <laughs> and, and that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's just she's just so very much on the top of her game. She's just I, I just I really respect people making intelligent, complex music that's still amazing to dance to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my thing. So, yeah, yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Song that reminds you of your childhood. And mm-hmm. I'm so happy by this. Uh, <laughs> Dance Called America by Run Rig. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the context, the, the the sensory context for this. So it's not just Dance Called America by Run Rag, but it's Dance Called America by Run Rag in an overhot mini metro, <laughs> mini metro that smells of my own vomit. Uh, driving around the um, the, uh, the the bumpy back roads of Scotland. Mm-hmm. That was my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> it was that that was that was holidays. Um, my mum was a big 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 Run Rag fan, also a big Capa Cayley fan. I think there was quite a big late '80s boost in Scottish pop rock yeah folk rock folk pop rock folk rock one of those things um yeah and um and run like we're obviously in there and yeah um it's... I was I was listening I listened to it again recently actually I just remembered this and I texted my brother and I was like was this album basically a Highland Clearances concept album and he texted back saying I think run like are basically a Highland Clearances concept band don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, actually. <laughs> I think it, the way you described that as being like most... Uh, that is most children's childhoods in Scotland. <laughs> like, even... Ho- especially holidays. This is what... I mean, your your kids will realise this. I don't know. I don't think they realise how lucky they are in terms of what we... Because I, I very much remember travelling around Scotland on holiday in the car. Yeah. And so the idea that you wouldn't get a holiday, you would just holiday in the same country. But also the idea now that because my kids control the music in our car, uh-huh. Uh-huh. whereas when we were young, it was whatever the tapes your parent had, that was it. Yeah, absolutely. You were listening to it whether you liked it or not. Yep, yep. It's an utterly alien concept. <laughs> the utter shite I need to listen to in the front of that car is incredible. <laughs> Youth of today don't know they're born, etc. <laughs> <laughs> Although my children do, they do genuinely because my kids uh, both speak Gaelic. Oh, that's so amazing! They actually do like Run Rig. Uh, uh-huh. So, so yeah. 
My, my partner's done a very long, um, a long game, uh, drip feeding Pink Floyd propaganda into my children's ears whenever I'm Good. not around, basically. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the way. That's the way you brainwash them into liking the stuff yep. that you like. Uh, right, moving on a few years to mm-hmm. when you were a teenager, mm-hmm. and you've picked Vaseline by Elastica. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's this. Um, this is my first ever gig. Was Elastica um, in 1994 mm. at the Queen the Queen's Hall in in Edinburgh. Um, I actually think it might have been 1995. I think I was probably a wee bit young for it in 1994. Um, but I've, I've tried to look it up, and it seems like they were on tour in 1994. I don't know, but it was the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh anyway, mm-hmm. and it was my first ever gig. And um, yeah, we we. we did not know how you behaved, so we turned up really early. We were like banging on the doors, going "Let us in, let us in," which I think made it into the select magazine review of the gig, which was like, "Yes, we're proper nice. famous now." Um, yeah, and um, uh, yes, I just absolutely. I grew up right in the middle of all that rip pop stuff, mm-hmm. and um, yes, it definitely influenced a lot of my sartorial choices for sure. Um, <laughs> I, I also remember I'd, um, I'd nicked my, my little brother's Dennis the Menace t-shirt because Just Seventeen said it was really cool to wear your little brother's cartoon t-shirts, and the wow. boys I went with were really, really slagging me off about that, and so I replaced that t-shirt with one, a band, this was the first ever band t-shirt I bought, was the Vaseline um, t-shirt, which was just like... It was one of those things that we were all doing in the nineties, where we wore brand uh, artist impressions of brands with the, you know, there was like mm-hmm. instead of Evian, there was naive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that person is edgy and clever. Yeah. Um, but yes, I had a, a big jar of Vaseline, and it said Elastica over over the front, and that's I still have that to this day. Um, for my fortieth birthday, we had a, a Zoom party, as as the as was the way of it, and. Um, I got everybody to dress up like they had done in 1995 and I got to wear that t-shirt again so I was delighted about oh, that. Oh, cool. <laughs> Just 17, my God, I've totally forgotten about that, that oh, magazine. Bible, absolute Bible. <laughs> it was actually, I don't know what it was like all the time, but at the, the brief window when I was reading it and adhering to everything it told me to do, it was all about um, charity shop shopping was, was the ultimate cool and dress like Bjork and this sort of thing rather than you know, dressed like a, a Spice Girl or yeah. Jennifer Jennifer Aniston. It was all about Bjork alternative things. I think there were some cool women writing for it at that point. Yeah, because they were a really, really, really cool band, Elastica. They were. They Just were one so album cool. as well. Like it's. No, there was a second album. It came What's out that? much later. Yeah, it came oh. out much later. Oh yes, nobody talks about the second album, Mark. Um, it came out much later. So I was at university by this point, and went all to right. see them in the in the lemon tree in Aberdeen, and um, oh, it was not good. Was it? it was the second good. album awful? Second album's awful. Half the original band had left by that oh, point. No. I think that there might have been a wee bit of the 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 fashionable smack of the 90s had been going around and distracting them a bit and um yeah i I'm, I'm, i hope i'm not libeling the good members of the band elastica there i think that's pretty much on <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's fairly well documented yeah <laughs> um yeah and there was it was a total shambles oh one other thing that happened at this gig that's a wee bit of brit pop trivia is that damon alburn popped his head around the side of the stage 
Ooh. And um, yeah, so it's the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh. I don't know if you know it, but there's just a stage with two doors either side. One of those doors opened and Damon Albarn looked around. Complete power move, pulled focus. All the TV girls in the, the, the audience, apart from me, because I was never a Damon fan, started screaming, Damon, Damon. Um, and my God, the band were pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> so you would be, yeah. So was it, um, this, this would be when they were they were going out. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. 1995, so he'd come on tour and he was obviously pissed off with sitting in the in the background of the, um, of the, the dressing room or something. <laughs> so you grew because I grew up through Britpop as well, um, uh-huh. and like, I mean, like, when you, when you had, your band's like Elastica, like I was fully Oasis, like, uh-huh. basically obsessed. <laughs> what was it like, like, because for, for me... It, it's, I mean, I imagine for everybody when they're growing up and they're a teenager, that's the best time of their entire life. Mm. Uh, what was Britpop like as a female? Um, there weren't slim pickings for role mm-hmm. models, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, thinking back about it now, the, I actually went into this in my book, Scabby Queen. I wrote a bit of a Britpop bit and I mm-hmm. got to do a wee pastiche of um, Loaded magazine where um, essentially it was, you know, the this weird sexualization of women but it was kind of dressed up as girl power and empowerment that was it was a weird time um so yeah we looked up very much to justine freshman to shirley manson was a big one of my idols um then but yeah slim slim pickings for girls um and it was just this strange time where it was a bit like yeah we've done feminism we're all now denise van out and pushing her boobs up and that's 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 empowerment now we're in a post-feminist age now wow. yeah because i suppose, um, <laughs> I suppose yes. feminism in the 90s with that kind of ladette culture was basically do everything as hard as men are doing it like drink as hard do yeah. drugs as hard you know what i mean it was like it was yeah like, but also with cleavage Make yeah sure well cleavage. obviously yes. yeah yeah um yeah but it, I, I don't remember yeah, I, it wasn't till about 1998, 99 when I started, I went to university and started kind of discovering, hang on a second here, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, started critical thinking around the experiences of my teens a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't really think that my teens were my, the best time of my life, to be honest. They were, they were a pretty fraught time. They were, they certainly left a mark, um, but it was a pretty fraught time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was easy to get carried along on that sort of wave of Britpop and ah, everything's ironic now. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, just kind of think yeah, about I've it always, a later. I've always been interested in this kind of idea that that was the last kind of great decade, like that kind of, especially from 97 onwards when mm-hmm. uh, Tony Blair came into power. Yeah. That was like, it, 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 the way it's portrayed is that kind of four years, kind of between 97 and 2001, when I think 9-11 just completely changed the world again. Yeah. It's looked as these amazing, free, liberal times. And I wonder, because I think I think we were probably too young to even realise mm-hmm. whether that was actually true or not, or whether it's just now rose-tinted specs we're looking back with. Yeah, it seems, I mean, those free liberal times, it seems to be, I mean there was a lot of celebration of the property market and yeah um, yeah 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 champagne champagne socialists yes. no no gallagher and damon alburn having having champers with, with tony blair around yeah. number 10 that sort of thing yeah um yeah i don't know it's i suppose it feels like a, a decade and it's got a really strong iconography doesn't mm-hmm. it um mm-hmm. whereas maybe other uh, afterwards what, what's what's the, the the naughty's got 
skinny jeans. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, because I suppose after after kind of Britpop, I remember like new metal came along. Yeah, Limp Biscuit and Corn oh, were God. suddenly the most popular bands, and yeah, I was I was a little bit well, I wasn't a little bit old for that, but I was I was at university by that point, so it was quite easy to to, to sort of snigger at that kind of thing. Yeah, and in my very uh, educated sniggery <laughs> university way. Um, Where did you go to yeah. uni? I went to uni in Aberdeen. You went to uni in Aberdeen. Did you join journalism? Yeah. No, no, I didn't. I did uh, Scottish literature. Oh. Um, well, started off doing film studies four years later, and film studies and women's studies four years later, and ended up with a degree in Scottish literature. Um, yeah. Just in the way that these things happen, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. That was very similar yeah. to me, actually. I went to do film studies as well, and then ended up doing politics. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, went with the ideas of writing films and then realised, ah, oh, I'm not actually that good at that. So Yeah. <laughs> right. Next song. A song mm-hmm. that gets you dancing. Yes. Bad Girls by M.I.A. Yes, it's a banger. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> it's a brilliant feminist, uh, intersectional feminist um, banger. Um, she's another one who's, who's actually, no, I'm not going to say, I would not like a, a little bit of time inside her brain. She was my first big interview when I was a journalist. All right. And um, I, I worshipped her and that's probably quite a dangerous way to be <laughs> when yes. you're a, a wee baby journalist and it was my first job. And was this at the last? Yeah, this is at the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and before that, I just kind of had interview, you know, Bob, who's doing a firewalk for charity. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then they were like, right, OK, I think you're ready. We're going to give you MIA. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I waited in the list, the list's Glasgow office, like till 10 o'clock at night. She was supposed to have called at seven. Um, and the publicist kept getting in touch going, yeah, yeah, she'll be in touch soon. She'll be in touch soon. She was not interested in me in the least. I think she had, she's still got quite a defensive thing around journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, she just made me feel like an absolute fool. Yeah. And then when I, when I published the, 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 the article, the, the one and only time I took to Google in myself, um, I saw myself being ripped to shreds from the amateurism of my journalism on, on Pitchfork oh, forums. God. And I just thought, Do you know what? I'm, I'm, yeah, maybe this bit isn't for me <laughs> so yeah. much. Um, but do you know what? That's, that's the thing about, you know, she's got every right to be protective and prickly and as difficult as she likes to be, to be honest. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I'm... Um, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not a fan of specifically asking that female celebrities have to be nicey nicey. Yeah. And always comply with the the, the the demands of the press here. Yeah. So I take it in in those kind of situations, she'll have done a lot of press interviews that day as well. Yeah, I would imagine so. And then she yeah. gets some wee starstruck gubbins uh, <laughs> trying to make. <laughs> How do you even deal with that as like a journalist? Do you when someone is that prickly? Mm-hmm. Is there a is there an is there an acceptance that this is just going to how it's be and you're going to get as much as you possibly can out of them for Pretty the article, much. or do Pretty you think much, yeah. I reckon I can turn this and make them like me? 
I was uh, I was not confident enough to at the time I had done so much research for this interview like I said it's my first big one I'd done so much research mm-hmm. I had like pages and pages of research there and I was like I'd, I'd crafted these questions really carefully and just try and impress her and it just fell so flat I honestly did yeah. um yeah by by the end I mean by the I mean I, I worked in journalism off and on for for ages I was at the list for four years mm-hmm. and by the end I mean I was their kind of lead feature writer and um, I would I would go into I tend to not have the questions prepared so much now and I just I, I just kind of go in and have a conversation yeah and sort of try and be well prepared but just have a conversation around around things and you know follow up on certain aspects and see let them see where they want it to go yeah. rather than coming coming in with your own agenda I don't think that's a particularly good I don't think that often works. I mean, unless no. you were maybe interviewing Boris Johnson, that would be good to have a nice strong agenda to come in on. But yeah, um, you know, yeah, you, know, you don't need to get into a big aha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Carol Ann Duffy or something. Yeah, so. no, you're not trying <laughs> yeah. to catch out music stars like so. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like you say, this song, as quite a lot of our songs are, very, very much based in female empowerment and stuff. Yes, which is something that you do with you've done with both your novels as well yeah yeah that's true i mean i don't know if that's i don't know that i definitely set out to write another female empowerment novel mm-hmm. <laughs> or disempowerment to be honest um I, I don't know that i definitely set out to write angry feminist books they just tend to come out that way yeah um and i realized that by describing them as angry and feminist i've probably turned a lot of people off <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay song best song for a road trip you have picked all my friends by lcd sound system a long one with a lot of build for a yeah. road trip don't you yes yeah. in terms of songs the build in this song is incredible yes yes here's how it starts yeah it goes for ages yeah. yes um so it, it yeah put this on and then by the time you've you know the, the, a good 10 minutes or whatever by the time you've got out of the city or wherever you're going uh-huh. you're on the road and you're at this joyous gigantic chorus that's the one yeah yeah, yeah. it's quite a sad mm-hmm. song as well actually Yes, um, but I think I mean a lot of my favourite, a lot of the songs on this on this list I've noticed are actually pretty. Yeah, even Bad Girls is pretty dark as well. Mm-hmm. For a straight up banger, it's it's a, it's got dark dark things going behind it. I love that about LCD Sound System. I love the way that you know even a party track is is complex and mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. Um, I, it's like a great big novel of a song. This one. <laughs> it is yeah. <laughs> An epic novel of a song, so yeah, that would appeal to me. And it's quite a, it's quite a recognisable kind of theme mm-hmm. that they're doing with it as well, because it is that that idea of it's a journey. The song because it's, it's starting with what they used to be like to when they were younger, yeah, and then imagining now what all those friendships that it, it's those kind of friendships that you don't, they, never, nothing ever happens for them to fade away. Yeah. Just natural through time, the, just you, you just lose touch with people. It's where are your friends tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's quite sad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, LCD Sound System so good at that, though. I saw, um, I went to see him when he played Glasgow um, SWG3 mm-hmm. when I was pregnant with my second my second child. Um, oh, wow. And, um, yeah, yeah, I was very, very pregnant, actually. So I got I got to get on the, the sort of the, the raised platform. The, um, oh, the, cool. The sort of, like the wee kind of special access, special needs and kind of, platform um and for yeah um, and so that was pretty good so i had like a view as well (laughs) i could actually see i hope you've let them know that's their first gig i have done yeah because that's a very very when it comes to first gigs most people's is quite embarrassing but (laughs) your kid's the coolest story (laughs) totally has hasn't he the eldest one pure resausage um i felt i first felt (laughs) yeah actually no there's there's another but um yeah you there's another song in this list that relates mm-hmm. to the eldest one in particular um, right. and his first gig so i'll leave that but, okay um, yeah <laughs> walk on track yes ramalama bang bang by rasheen murphy It is indeed. It has the best, um, the best little baseline. I am a fan of a rhythm section. I am mm-hmm. not a fan of Joni Mitchell. I, I might be the only woman <laughs> born in the last 40, 50 years who's not a massive fan of Joni Mitchell. I need a rhythm section. I yeah. really do. And this has it in spades. This is just an absolute strut of a track. That, yeah, that it is. Yeah. yeah. Because you do, I mean, like, you, you perform quite a lot at Spoken Word. I do, yeah. Well, I haven't done, I haven't done since, but um, yeah, I do. Have you done um, any since the pandemic's been done? No, no, I haven't. No. I've, I've only done, um, I've only done three live events for my my book Scabby Queen that came out in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and um, one of them was at a very small festival down in um, down in the borders, and the other two were in prisons and women's prisons. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really I haven't done any live performance at all. I do a lot of Zoom these days, mm-hmm. a lot of Zoom Zoom performing, but yeah. um, no, I, I haven't done any live performing for a while. I've never had an opportunity to have walk on music, but if I had walk on music, it would be Ramalama Bang Bang for sure. Yeah, God, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't imagine you're allowed walk-on music if you're doing anything in prisons. But no. that would be fairly. That would be fairly cool. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing the bars open and going here. I am. <laughs> and how how were they? How were those? Because I've I've done gigs in prisons mm-hmm. before, uh, which I imagine are. So was it was it a question and answer session, or was it, were you doing readings? I did readings and then we opened it up to question and answer afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it, it meant a lot actually to, mm-hmm. to, we kept them quite informal. So I was doing, I'd do kind of four groups of about seven. I did one big one at Court and Vale and then four groups of about seven or eight people um, at HMP Edinburgh, which I know is soft and um, the, the next day. And yeah, it was interesting the discussions that came up to be honest I think a lot of the time it's about these women want to write their stories and they want to tell them but yeah. they don't have the con- the confidence um, I mean you know I'm, I'm not a big believer in incarcerated female prisoners at all to be honest yeah. I mean the vast majority of these women they, the 
regard, let me know, you know, the vast majority of them are in for, um, you know, taking it back after domestic abuse, that sort of thing. You know, these were some very vulnerable people in there. So, yeah, um, we donated a few. I did this with the Edinburgh Book Festival and they donated copies of my books to the libraries. Right. And um, they've since got a reading group that's asked me to come back in once, once they've done. Once they've oh, done cool. The so, so, they were, so they were very responsive to yeah, you being yeah, in there, yeah. They were, they were definitely. Well, I was the first person that they'd had in. Um, right. Since, since the pandemic as well since lockdown um but it's just it's just a, com- a complete glimpse into a different way of life like uh-huh. they were telling me this was kind of early september i think and they were telling me that they were excited that um recently they'd got to stay up until nine o'clock they were being locked in at five o'clock but then right. when the restriction when the restrictions came back in they get to stay up till, t- till nine o'clock again now and uh-huh. um, I, you know, with the re- relaxing of COVID restrictions, and that this was a massive deal for them, just being and one of them said being able to see the night sky again, that was quite exciting. And yeah, just, God, you don't, I yeah, those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, you, it's not even that you take them for granted. For granted. You wouldn't even think of us of it, it as something. Occur. Yeah, no, no, not at all. It's something I'd like to, I'd like to do more of. I think. Yeah. I've been having a quick chat with a couple of people who work there to see if I can, I can get in more or do something more. And I imagine it must like be quite a, quite an honour and nice to have, like like you say, a lot of the a lot of the women have stories to tell. So mm-hmm. the idea that you potentially could inspire someone to put their own thoughts down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I find this when I'm doing creative writing workshops a lot and mentoring. I mean, I've mentored four young female writers now some through the Scottish Book Trust and some through um, another agency that I work for. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, women do not feel like they're allowed, like they've got the right to tell their story. They don't feel that they've got the confidence to get that out there, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of that. There's mm-hmm. uh, this over and over again, and then particularly with women who are this vulnerable, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it, it's just about telling them they can and should write their stories. Yeah, as much as anything. Yeah, that's great. Best film, uh, best song from a film. So happy oh. with this. <laughs> Footless by Kenny Loggins. need to go into it it's just that's the best song from a film that is the best song from a film do you like the film (laughs) it's all right yeah yeah, that's that's, (laughs) i think that's most people's attitude towards it they kind of go this the uh, film's all right but the song no yeah yeah (laughs) it was um me and my 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 eldest have started watching strictly together i never watched strictly before this year um Mm -hmm. and he was mega into this song last week one of the one of the his favourites he's a CBBC presenter um, right. and, and real life was dancing to Footloose and yeah my, my, my five year old likes to get up and do some moves and he's been asking to play that ever since as well so yeah. nice nice yeah. it's hard like because I, I was I, I, I never actually because I've I realised I like a lot of songs from 80s films mm-hmm. and then it's only when you find out how many Kenny Loggins actually did you go yeah this man was an absolute master of <laughs> this type of song like it's unbelievable he's back catalogue yeah yeah, him and, and Jerry Rafferty as well. Jerry yeah. Rafferty. I never, I never knew that Steelers Wheel. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's 
a Scottish song. Yeah. They're Scottish. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> There's like those two kind of just lurking about in the background of everywhere. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I know. Yeah. I know. And apparently, uh, I was reading that uh, Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. whenever he is at a wedding, he <gasps> will bribe the DJ to not play this song. No, because no. Especially in America, it is such a requested songs at mm-hmm. events, particularly weddings, that if he's ever at it, he'll, he'll speak to the DJ and say, listen, he, he, he says, he, he told him in Conan O'Brien, he says he'll, he'll slip them like $20. Just, just if anyone asks for it, just say you don't have it. Kevin. I know. Uh, the I internet's know. got you on that now. I know. Everybody's I know. doing it via Spotify. I know. Because, <laughs> I mean, there would be nothing cooler than being at a wedding just as an evening guest and walking in and going, oh, God, Kevin, Kevin Bacon's, Bacon's doing footloose. Oh, see, I thought I thought he was quite into the whole Kevin Bacon thing, yeah. Bacon-ness of himself. Exactly, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe he just can't do the moves anymore. <laughs> Maybe it was a dance double all the time. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, song that makes you happy. Batches and cookies by Lizzo. Yes. Batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. Got my batches and cookies. I 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 got my batches and cookies. Got my batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. Yes. Just stupid and fun. Yeah. But. We saw we saw Lizzo um, randomly. She played the stag before she was big. Um, she played the stag in Dagger Festival um, mm-hmm. and the art school. Thinking about this now in Glasgow, wow. so she played the Glasgow the Glasgow Art School upstairs, not even the big the big space. Like during the stag and dagger festival, which was about what ten years ago or something, wow. she was playing this. Um, and me and my fella walked in, and we were just like, "Who is this person? Yeah. We worship her. This is amazing." Just as she was doing this song, so yeah. It's a it's a ridiculously catchy and good song. Uh, it's brilliant. Because <laughs> when I make up when I make up the playlists for everyone that I've had on, uh, I put them uh-huh. on in the car, and sometimes I forget what songs are on it. And I had this mm-hmm. on, and I uh, was bringing the kids back home from school, and I heard my my wee girl singing it, and I was like, ah, <laughs> that just shows you how catchy it is. But also, yep. let's not let's not delve too deep into a lot let's of the lyrics here. Let's not look into the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The batches and cookies bit I'm fine with. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to know the meaning behind a lot of it, but just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and conversely, a song that uh, makes you sad. Yeah, uh, so this is it's, it's another one of those LCD sound system kind of happy sad uh-huh. ones, which is the number one song in heaven by Sparks. Um, And we'd also actually, it is also tied to a road trip. So um, my partner and I took, it took us five years um, to have our eldest kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we both have various issues that meant we were actually told we could not naturally conceive, um, which means that our second child came as a bit of a surprise. Mm. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so there was a lot of IVF and a lot of heartache along the way. Mm-hmm. And so this one was one hogmanay just had another failed round of IVF. I think we actually, it's a, it'd been a, a 
success at first and then a, a failure just before Christmas. And some pals of ours were like, what are you doing for Hogmanay? We were like, nothing. They were like, do you know what? My mum's my mum lives in North Berwick. She just said she's going off for Hogmanay. She's left us her flat. Should we go and stay in my mum's flat in North Berwick? So we went off with this other couple. Um, and they, I had not heard this song. I know Sparks, but I hadn't heard this song. And they mm-hmm. played this for us in the car on the way. And then this tune just it just I needed that massive emotional release of that tune sitting in the back of the car yeah and then it it, it went on to become something positive because that weekend with no expectations whatsoever was still the best Hogmanay we've ever had where we just kind of like hanging out watching the the loony duke on North Berwick shore in the morning made a, a roast lamb walked along the 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 pier to see the the fireworks all over um, you know just existing in, yeah. in the moment needed to just be there and not be in a pub or a club or something for that particular one and um yeah and then a year and a half later um when i was i was actually pregnant with the the ivf baby who would become my eldest mm-hmm. i went to see sparks and franz ferdinand to play this song oh cool um, so yeah and all of my pregnancies have been a bit dodgy and um that when i was actually pregnant with twins and i just lost the twin right and i didn't know what was happening and i remember hearing this song um and my partner had been held up so it's just me in in the, the concert hall by myself with and i immediately felt like there was somebody there with me mm-hmm. and so i sort of knew when hearing that song that actually one of the twins is still all right it's okay um and boof there we go wow um, yeah, so it's a lot of emotion tied yeah. up into that song. And I think because it's so sweeping and orchestral and ridiculous and amazing, it kind of takes it takes you there as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It's a very it's a it's a great, great song. So mm-hmm. so first child, first gig yeah. was Sparks and Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> Second child was L C D sound system. Yeah. The coolest two kids you will ever meet. <laughs> Uh, that's oh. fantastic, because um, I had um, I had uh, Jay Lafferty, mm-hmm. the comedian yes. on, and she was talking about because she's gone through a similar uh, thing with her uh, husband that they tried through IVF. They were told again, like you, that mm-hmm. it was never going to happen, and so yeah. it was that complete surprise. And it, it generally, like, I'm I'm in an absolute awe of people that have gone through this because the temptation to just give up must be overwhelming at times yeah yeah it is it is um jay and i actually that's actually how jay and i met was um, right i was i was on her 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 radio documentary lucky about oh, okay. talking about ivf so yes um because i think it was jay that put us in touch about this wasn't it so yes 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 um yeah no it is um i mean the thing is as well that it's it's a weird thing whereby having come through it and now just being a parent and it being kind of six years on mm-hmm. um i feel a bit disloyal <laughs> like you get a lot of support on the infertility forums from an you know anonymous people up and down the country yeah who are also going through the same thing and you know i know that some of them didn't have happy endings you know for some people it doesn't happen and um i feel a bit disloyal and then the fact that i had a child naturally afterwards as well um, I, I'm always really careful when when I tell that story, and I want I want people to know. Please don't use my story 
as a sort of, oh, cheer up. I heard about this woman who tried yeah. for IVF for five years and then boof, she got pregnant straight after that. We heard so many of those stories when we were in the midst of it and it does not help. It doesn't help at all. It really, really doesn't. Um, yeah, I mean, so I felt a bit like my body was being disloyal to my infertile sister. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. In a way, when I, when I managed to naturally conceive, um, which was a total unplanned shock which uh yeah we'd actually pretty much decided we were, we were in we were meeting up with friends we were around at pal's house for dinner um, and we hadn't seen them for a while and my partner was actually banging his fist on the table going no i think we are committed to the one child lifestyle mm-hmm. um it was a bit drunk and i was sitting beside <laughs> him like that cheese smells really really strong suddenly um, mm. and the next day boof eight weeks pregnant um wow. did a test so yeah um but this was you know it's a don't uh, th- that's the one thing i would say is you know don't ever ask a couple when are you when are you gonna have kids then yeah um i mean i remember when we'd been trying for two years my partner met up with an old pal at like his leaving day or something and he was like mate mate what are you two doing I mean, you're not getting any younger. Hurry up and have the children. Don't leave it too late. That's all I'm saying. And it's a bit like, oh, my God, we've been trying for three years at this point. We had literally lost a baby. It's almost like that kind of talking about the weather kind of thing. It's such a, yes. such a yeah. British idea of a couple that get to a certain age, if they've not had kids, people yes. naturally start to go, oh, I, what, I mean, you'll be that whole, it'll be you next, the pitter patter of tiny yeah. feet kind of thing. And it's... yeah. I think, I mean, I'm, I think that conversation has started to change recently as mm-hmm. as um, the generation who are now having the, the miscarriages and the, the fertility difficulties are starting to say, like, uh, we're not necessarily sure we believe in your great big culture of silence around this, to be honest. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, I, f- I, feel like, I feel like it's a responsibility actually to talk out about it as much as possible and put those words out there. Um, you know, I mean, when, when Nicola Sturgeon came out and said that she'd had a miscarriage as well, I mean, yeah. that was that definitely kind of shifted the conversation. Um, it is hard, though. I mean, people shouldn't mm-hmm. be expected to have to do that work when you're grieving. No, exactly. No, no, but, but it yeah. isn't very, very important, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if, if you do ever have a third, you're going to need to pick an even cooler artist now to... Not having a third. <laughs> no, 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 not having a third, Mark. No, no, same, no, no. Same, same. <laughs> the, the thought terrifies me. Every you night. See that thing I thing I said about tiredness. tiredness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a song that reminds you of a friend or family member. Purple okay. Rain by Prince. Yes, this is my friend Becca, who is one of my oldest friends in the world. We've been pals since we were 12. And um, she's just an absolute diamond of a person. And as a teenager, when all the rest of us were doing the Britpop thing, she was obsessed, obsessed with Prince, obsessed. And um, we did a school trip to see Prince the Ballet or something. or Like there was a ballet of Wow, Prince I didn't songs. know that. Or something like that. And I think they thought, oh, that's a musical. This will be a way of getting kids into the theatre. That's a, that's a <laughs> musical recording artist. Um, and I remember sitting beside Becca and there was this dance happening to Purple Rain, which was not... 
it's not got much of a rhythm section so you know mm. <laughs> again i need i need a thumping baseline me yeah. um uh, but yeah it's um yeah i remember her being her face was wet with tears and she was clutching my hands with the emotion of it all yeah and every time i hear that song now I've, that was my first sort of impression on how i mean i must have been 13 or something and that was my first impression of how much a song could affect somebody emotionally mm-hmm. so i always think of becca who is you know just one of the best people still to be in my life whenever yeah. i hear that song so, i mean it's a hell of a song yeah it really yeah. is and prince actually prince wrote it mm-hmm. uh, because he'd, he'd been he'd been touring with uh, bob seeger uh-huh. apparently and he'd seen the way that bob seeger was able to get people dance with a lot of his stuff but then he always had two slower songs mm-hmm. and Prince didn't have anything like that, mm-hmm. so he saw the he saw the just outpouring of emotion and how 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 much the audience were hanging on Bob Seger every time he did these emotional songs that he thought I need to write one of these. Mm-hmm. So that's how he came up. With, and it was originally supposed to be a duet with Stevie Nicks. Oh wow! I know, but Stevie Nicks said this is this is too this is too much for me. Like this is literally mm-hmm. like you <laughs> you take this yourself. This is fine. <laughs> I don't know if you've because it was the last song he ever played live before he what died Prince as well yeah a week before he died because he, he'd always i mean obviously always close gigs with it with, yeah and, uh, do you know what I, I still i still haven't quite processed that i have to be reminded and i'm surprised every time i'm reminded that Prince yeah, is dead. it just yeah. doesn't make sense to me yeah um i don't know if you've ever seen there's a he, he did it at the super bowl the mm-hmm. halftime show at the super bowl no. once and it's i mean obviously it's in an american stadium so this thing's huge mm-hmm. and there's a huge big purple prince symbol of a stage mm-hmm. and it starts chucking it down like absolutely hammering it down from the heavens just as he's playing this song some actual and, purple rain yeah and, and that's the thing they've got purple lights coming down so it's purple rain and it's <laughs> just him on the stage and he steps out I, I mean i don't know how he wasn't electrocuted to be honest because <laughs> he steps out and just stands getting absolutely soaking with no shirt on and just a guitar and they're just going my god this is like it's like God choreographed this himself. This is amazing. <laughs> Watch it. It's very cool. <laughs> Karaoke song. Yes. Love Shack by the B-52s. It's a duet with my, my, my partner, yes. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and can well, can you do can you both do it? Yes, we can. You're good. Yes. Good. We're not great singers, but we have got the necessary performance skills to pull it off. But I don't feel that you necessarily need to be an amazing singer to do this song at karaoke, but no. you do need to you do need to be able to perform it. Yeah. And it's one of those yeah. songs that I've talked to this a couple of guests that Whenever you do a karaoke song, I I, I can't like cause I, qu- I quite like going to karaoke nights, and mm-hmm. I hate when people pick a song that nobody really knows, but they know they can sing really really well. Yeah, you need to pick something like Love Shack that the entire yeah. audience are going to get into because absolutely. Yeah, it's I'm a... not I'm not a fan of a karaoke night anymore. To be honest, it's just I'm, I'm, I used to go to the Horseshoe Bar one a couple oh. of times, and it's just they take it too seriously. You just yes. get this woman who can do a technically beautiful version of a Keen song. Yeah, 
Yeah, they've brought, they've brought their own string section. <laughs> that 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 is not a joyous night out. <laughs> no, no. For anyone listening, the Horseshoe Bar is a bar in Glasgow. Oh, sorry, Horseshoe Bar in that, Glasgow. Yes. Yeah, that have uh, they have a karaoke night on, and a Sunday's the main one, mm-hmm. and it's honest to God like the most professional thing you have ever seen. Like they're almost <laughs> they're angry if you get up and you're not amazing. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, because yeah. we, we 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 tried to do it for a, a when I used to work at the Arches. We did we had a, a work night out there, Christmas work night out, and they were just like, "No, I'm sorry, we're cutting you guys off. You're not allowed to sing anymore." Because we just wanted to go up and have fun. Cover song, best cover, Valerie, the Amy Winehouse and Mark Ronson version. That song, mm-hmm. great lyrics, terrible original version. Terrible. You don't like the original? No. Ah. <laughs> Who was it? The Zootons. It was the, the Zootons. Zootons. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, not a fan. No. Mark Ranson, uh, Amy Winehouse one. It's a bit, you know, it, it got a bit, it, it, it gets that kind of, um, there, there's a certain indie purism around when when female artists cover mm-hmm. <laughs> indie songs but that version is a hundred times better come on especially yeah. the fact that you can hear it at the beginning going i'm sorry charlie murphy i was just having too much fun. yeah yeah that's, that's <laughs> cool that is very cool yeah she made that her own she made that her own song there was no personality in the original version she yeah she stamped herself all over it it kind of annoys me that when you look it up on spotify it doesn't have amy winehouse credited it's just like yeah mark ronson put a beat behind it but it's her vocal performance yeah and her aiminess is the point of it so, yeah yeah she picked it as well like she yeah. mark ronson had never heard it <laughs> and they recorded it in like two takes or something like that and um Interesting. but it is it is one of those it's one of those great covers that is mm-hmm. far more famous and far better than the original now yes yeah definitely because i saw i saw the zootons at the Wickerman festival years mm-hmm. ago and they did this and i heard people going Oh, they're doing the Amy Winehouse song. Like, <laughs> and that must really piss you off if you've written yes. that song. Like, best song you've seen live? Mm-hmm. One Day Like This by Elbow. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheesy one now, isn't it? But um, this is me and my fellas kind of song. Mm-hmm. Where there was there was a festival called Connect that only ran for two years, 2007 yes. and 2008. It's coming back. Is it? It's coming back <gasps> next year, yep. Oh wow, that was a brilliant festival. Yeah, it was that festival. So I, I was I was working for the list when that was on. So um and my fellow was performing the first year and we were kind of darting, dancing around each other. Um and we had a little bit of a date. Um in between me being a very serious, impressive music journalist. Excuse me, I've just got to go and cover a I've just got to go and type this up in the press tent, blah 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 blah. Um and then the next year we went back and um yeah, we were we were very loved up by that point, and we mm-hmm. were we were both performing in the live literature tent that year, um, performing writing that we'd done, and we saw Elbow doing one day like this with the sun setting in that amazing, uh, setting because it was like it was, was it Inverary Castle. It was Inverary no. Castle, yeah. Yeah, and um, and and this sort of valley with the mountains all around, and the sun was setting as we saw that song playing. Um, so it's a bit of a cheesy one. It is a bit of a cheesy one, I know. Um, oh, no, I, I love. I absolutely know, love this song. That's that's our song, and it's our song because of that moment when we kind of just sort of had our arms around each other's necks, and the sun was going down, and yeah, you know, 
um, like I said, getting married in March, and I think his nephew, who is now a big Oasis fan, actually, mm-hmm. oh, good <laughs> his, man. his nephew, his sixteen-year-old nephew, eighteen-year-old nephew, now, sorry, worships at the shrine in O'Gallagher. Um, is going to play that as we do something around an aisle composed of twelve. Oh, people. Wow. I don't know, um, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that'll be very cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cracking. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always because them. Um, one of the other guests has picked had picked this song as well, and mm. remember talking about how it must. I mean, it was, just must be so tempting after you've written something like this to just go. Oh, that's well, me. that's me. I mean, <laughs> I'm literally not going to write anything better than this. So yeah, uh, that I mean, just just incredible, mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant song. Uh, Guilty pleasure. Yes, I love it by Akona Pop and Charlie XCX. <laughs> Now I don't even know that this is a guilty pleasure to be honest. I'm 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 a wee bit you know I'm 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 too old for guilty pleasures. Yeah. <laughs> just like I blim and love pop. I have a, a pop banger's sensibility. This is this is the pop banger of all pop bangers. I blim and love it. That's oh, all I got I, to say. I, <laughs> I absolutely love this song. I think it's fantastic. I think it's just such a like it. it, it I can imagine my daughter when she's got a teenager acting like this song. <laughs> like just that kind of sheer defiance at the world and just I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want this is it's like it's like the more going back to the 90s again it's like the more musically complex and confident version of um, Shampoo's Trouble oh which was god a big, yeah that was a big teen stomp for me when I was a teenager and this song kind of takes me further yeah yeah it's <laughs> It's brilliant. Just that line where like I threw your shit into a bag and tossed it down the stairs. You're just like, yes. This is yes. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, a song that reminds you of a moment or place. We Are Your Friends by Justice versus Simeon. Yes, so this song is tied. I worked at the Arches between 2004 and 2006. And um, I was, my job was press and publicity manager, but basically meant I was, um, I was, I did the words for the Arches. I wrote the words for the Arches. Specifically, their in-house club, Tesco. Um, I was working with Neil Walker, who's now known amazing designer and he was the marketing and design manager at the time and he would do pictures and I would do the words and I would write all the flyers and all the brochures and kind of trying to sort of arch his tone of voice for it mm-hmm. um, and this song for me was this I went into the before um, as a just a kind of straight up in the head pretty much um, and this song that you know the arches was where I got to understand electro and techno and the pleasures of them. And um, I just remember this this was the big banger at Death Disco. Mm-hmm. And some of the friends I made working there, I'm still in touch with now. And yeah, it was it was just that this this was what was amazing about it. This was the death the death disco song. 
Um, and I have also also written a book. Well, exactly. I mean, we need to talk <laughs> about that. Um, I've done a mutual acquaintance Sorry. as well with David Bratchpiece, who I've known for a long while now. Yeah, he said, tell Nelson he's never had me on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he asked me to pass that one to you. Um, yes. <laughs> so how did the book come about? Uh, I, well, when the arches closed down, I would blog about it um, and just put it on the WordPress thing. I was just kind of, and at the time it was quite a lot of people. It got a few shares at the time. And then I think it was after my, my, my novel came out last year, um, I was approached, or I was about to come out, um, the, the publisher, Salamander Street Press, George George Stender, they're a wee, a, a small publisher, they, they do mainly Scottish theatre or theatre books mm-hmm. um, and play scripts, and he approached me and was just like, I've read this blog, so I've been, been looking up my, just looking up my website after reading my book, Scabby Queen, I think, and would you like to write a book about the arches? Um and I have an inability to say no to anything, but also it felt quite important to um, that it was people who had been there that got to tell that story if it was going to get mm-hmm. to be told. So I said yes. Um, immediately we must have taken on way, way too much. And then this was in lockdown and we had a, a Zoom death disco reunion and uh, David Bratchpiece, who he's the third longest standing arches employee of all time mm-hmm. this is actually he had um he had been there for a long time we'd worked together i have a lot of affection and respect for that man anyway we'd always gotten really well when we'd worked together and he was at the zim death disco reunion and i was like oh guys in the chat never guess never guess what i've just been asked to write a book about the arches and everybody else was like really and in his wee zim corner i saw his face just drop um and the oh. message me the next day was like i was trying to write a book about the arches actually Oh God! Um, and I just thought, you know what? Let's just do this together. Yeah. So what what we did with this book is we we didn't feel like it was any one person's story to tell. So we we've laid it out like an oral history. So it's um, it's, it looks like a script. You see them sometimes in like Rolling Stone magazine. How we mm-hmm. made the movie Clueless. How we made the animal the the album Marky Moon. That sort of thing. Um, and it's it's done like a script. So you get interviews and kind of lay them all together. So it looks like all these people had a conversation, but actually they just tell their bits yeah. of the story. And you can kind of that way you can you can find the whole story. So we went, you know, we've interviewed sixty people from everyone from Carl Cox, the the DJ who was the he was the patron of the arches when I was there and all the way down to, you know, folk who worked in the bar, behind the, you know, by the bar and the cloakroom, that sort of thing. Yeah. And tried to tell the whole story from 1991 to 2015 in the words of the people who were there. And um, so the, the arches for, I keep, I'm, I'm being very Glasgow centric. I don't even live in Glasgow anymore. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely fine though. I think, I think the arches is... I'd, I'd be surprised if a lot of people don't know the Archies. Sure. Well, I mean, what most people know it for is just being such a massive, massive nightclub. You know, yeah. one, of, one of the biggest and most famous and most popular with the DJs in Europe. Uh, and it's this sort of... But what it also was, what it was originally was a, a theatre and an art space. And what they did very early on, the, the founders, Andy Arnold and Laurie Freighter, they set it up as a charity when they realized they could put on these massive club nights in there they they put all the revenue went into the arches arts charity right. and so that was a kind of it was there for 
artists to, you know, of all disciplines, mainly theatre, but visual artists as well, musicians. There were practice spaces. There were, um, you know, they could help them put a show on, you know, they, they could they could give them space. Um, a thing that Andy Arnold told me when I started was that what was very important to the arches was the right to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, they said no artist springs fully funded into, you know, an Oscar winning film or a, you know, a, a, a Booker Prize novel, you know, apart from Douglas mm-hmm. Stewart, author of Shuggy Dane, who has just done that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, people need time and space to fail and find out what works for their, what works for their, their audiences and what doesn't and the mm-hmm. arches provided that and provided that in a way and in a space that was much more accessible to working class young people I think as well yeah. than there maybe is anywhere else in Scotland just now so it was it was just an extraordinary place and it was built into these gigantic red brick arches under Central Station yeah so it made an amazing club but it also had just the hugeness of the space and then the tiny winding basement passageways underneath being in that space kind of changed the way that you thought as well um and and really kind of the the work that comes out of that from artists who've spent time in there whether it's djs or you know um or theater makers or or whatever um, I mm-hmm. mean, you know me I, I was i was there as an office worker i was there doing the press and publicity but just having access to that strange sort of space where things were possible and imagination was encouraged definitely the physical reality of that space changes you a bit i think yeah it's a very i mean it's a very very iconic place uh-huh. uh, not just through glasgow but through well as i know it through dance music as well yeah. and do you think it was do you think it was that kind of labyrinth style kind of building and the huge vastness of it in there that, do, what, do you think it's that that made it such a good club well, yeah, Carl Cox, I, I, I interviewed him for the book and he said, well, the thing about that was that those red bricks, the sound went up into them and because mm-hmm. of the dome, the red brick dome, and then it bounced back down again. Right. Um. So, you know, that's, you know, acoustically, there's nothing to touch that. That is, you yeah, know, 100% so the best acoustics for a club that you could possibly want. You were in the sound. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, so much about that physical space, really, and the, the way it affected people from clubbers to the folk who worked there to the people who were making theatre there yeah. I think so I've, I've always um, yeah the two two things that I saw when I was working there one of them was like I said I was wee indie kid and I went to see Green Velvet playing Pressure and suddenly mm-hmm. I got I got techno um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the second one was this one on one theatre show that Andy Arnold did in the basement spaces where there was a cast of 30 and 30 audience members and you were wreathed around these tiny little damp brick corners and corridors and half-lit spaces and in each place you'd be moved on to the next place but in each place you'd find somebody who would make a confession to you a five-minute theatre show and they had loads of different writers writing each little five-minute piece and then the actors were mostly um RSAMD, sorry, our, our conservatory now students. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Madden from uh, oh, Rob, yeah. Rob Game Stark Thrones, from yeah. Game of Thrones. He was in that, um, and um, yeah, and, and just that those two experiences could happen nowhere else but in that building. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think as well, and it sort of shows you the difference, the massive difference in in that space as well. But yeah, it yeah. Was, um, because I know, I know Bratchy's told me various stories about the various people that 
have performed there. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever been proper starstruck by someone that's been in there? No, um, not so much. But then my job wasn't quite as much. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, as uh, I mean, Bratchy's job was he, you know, especially at the end as front of house manager, he was, you know, he was looking after the, mm-hmm. you know, um, who who's he said Benny King, yeah. um, uh, you know, he, he was he was looking after the big music stars when he was there. Me, not so much. My my story is a bit more. Um, I was modelling for a death disco flyer. And, mm-hmm. you know, just a normal day at the office, me lying on the concrete floor of the corridor with my fishnet tights and my hot pants <laughs> and my high-heeled shoes. And the, the techies brought out the biggest mirror ball that the whole space had. And this was kind of propped up on top of me. So it looked like I was dead by disco, disco literally. It was just <laughs> my legs, my legs out underneath this disco ball. Um, <laughs> and I heard some voices around me and I was like, right, what, what's, what's going on here? So I kind of cantilevered the the massive disco ball off me and there was this group of kind of crusty guys with guitars standing around me and it was the band the levelers on their way to a sound check wow <laughs> i wasn't starstruck as much as what what is this i mean god before i started that job i was working um you know i was temping in edinburgh airport operations office yeah. and to go from that to this yeah it was um, yeah yeah. Oh, brilliant! No, that's cracking. So the book, the book's called Brickwork. It's called Brickwork: A Biography of the Arches. Yeah. Yeah, and it's out now. It's out now. It's been out for about three weeks, um, and it's it's yeah. The, the reception's been amazing so far. People, from a lot of people, have a lot of fond memories of that place. But it's even chiming with people who didn't, who were too young yeah, yeah. for it, or didn't ever get to go, um, because it's more than it's more than just a sort of nostalgia fest it's a story about a particular moment in culture somebody somebody who read it who was too young to have been at the time who was interviewing us said um it's really a story of dance music isn't it Mm -hmm. from dance music coming indoors um from the raves in the early 90s after the the criminal justice bill um, Mm and to being you know to being quite rough and ready to the increasing sort of domination of edm and big money american djs towards the end um yeah, so it's 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 the story of you know a good twenty odd years in culture as well, and yeah, but told by people at all levels of it, from the the big name artists to the to the people who made the wheels go round. Yeah, to the people that were crushed by disco balls in front yeah. of the levelers. That was me crushed by a disco ball in front of the levelers. <laughs> Actually, that picture, that picture weirdly travelled. Um, we we were sent it two years later, and um. A Norwegian black metal band or death metal band had used it as their um, the cover for their album Death to Disco. Um, so, oh wow! Yeah, my legs got um, uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're not you're not getting Norwegian death metal royalty checks coming through no, every Christmas, no? No, for each ankle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, um, your hidden gem. Yes, you've picked Thunder Thighs by Moonchild Sanali. Sanelli, yeah. Sanelli, yeah. Because right. I'd never heard this before. So no, she's amazing. Um, uh, I think it popped up on Six Music one night or something when I was doing. I think I was maybe working on the on the the Arches book, so I've only heard it recently. But I started looking into it, and this woman is awesome. So she's a South African artist. She sings in um, 
in in English, but also in her. Um, yeah, she kind of she's a really outspoken, sex positive feminist in a mm-hmm. culture in a culture that doesn't um, that doesn't allow that. So yeah, she's she, South African, yeah. Yeah, she's South African, yeah. and what she's doing out there is, um, you know, she's this very outspoken. She's she's kind of like she's she's working on Janelle Monae levels, but with the politicization of MIA in there. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is kind of why I gravitated towards it. But she sings in Sosa as well. Sorry, I'm going to say this properly. Sosa, nope, Sosa, Sosa. There's a click in there, and um, but yeah. she uses the she uses that language in her songs as well as English. Um, but this song's just great. It's just another mm. cracker. She's just um a very outspoken disco funk feminist rapper, hip hop, brilliant Afro punk kind of musician. She's amazing. <laughs> That's a, that's that's a, that's an endorsement and a hand. Okay, one of your favourite songs, just open open field. One of your favourites, "Dark Skies" by Emma Pollock. Don't you love the way they so that the world yeah it's just a beautiful 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 song um, this was um she recorded this for a project that we were both on together um called whatever gets you through the night mm-hmm. um and i was i was you know i was a bit of a delgado's fan in my youth um and then i'd never met her at this point and she recorded this song dark skies um this project whatever gets you through the night so it got musicians and writers together and we all had to create a five minute song or a piece of writing for theatre. Um, and the only the only um, stimulus, stimulus we were given was that it had to take place between the hours of midnight and 4am somewhere in Scotland. Right, okay. Um, so I wrote from the point of view of a Polish flower seller on the streets of Aberdeen, trying to sell roses to the all the drunk couples. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this song just came and blew me away there was an album around it as well and um, as well as a live performance but emma's voice is just it's like looking into a perfectly still loft or something yeah and seeing, and seeing the stars reflected in it it's um it's just one of the most beautiful things i've, I've heard and we kind of yeah um you know i i, I was running live live future live performance nights at the time and I got Emma to come along and do a couple of them afterwards and sing this song mm-hmm. at them which was which was lovely um, I imagine that would marry quite well yeah yeah, yeah. it would yeah just come and sing a song it was um, I was running this thing called words per minute which was um at the arches actually after I'd stopped working there so I'd get writers and musicians and filmmakers on to do five minute bursts of things mm-hmm. um yeah so five minute performance reading or a five minute poem or um five minute actually it's maybe 10 minutes i'm not sure or screen a five minute short film or sing one song mm-hmm. basically and um yeah emma came on a couple of times and did this song at my special request bless her um because it's just it's just so beautiful yeah it yeah it's a really really great song really great song and now your closing song mm-hmm. to close off the playlist mm-hmm. another absolute belter yes by mccalma and butler I do feel better. Yes, I feel, I feel all right. I feel up the moon up to tell you what you can do with God, with God. 
Yeah, although, do you know what? The one thing that I will say about this song is it's got an absolute shit ending. Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. Of course. Oh, God, of course. (laughs) It's got a terrible ending. It's this magnificent, another great big wall of soundy, soaring, kind of epic song. And then it just peters off right at the end um so yeah finish it before, like a second before the end <laughs> just yeah, pause yeah, yeah. and allow that to be the end um but yeah bernard butler just after he left suede and mm-hmm. um david McCalman and this was this was another another 90s one but it's just such an amazing track it's just yeah it's just it kind of came out of nowhere as well yeah like because I, I know i knew i knew some of bernard butler's solo stuff mm-hmm. and then I had no idea he was teaming up with uh, David McCallman. And then just this song just hit, like... Because I don't think they ever... I know they did an album, mm-hmm. but I don't think anything off the rest of it even hit. touched no. what this we, did. We went to see them play live five years ago. That was another in utero gig for my eldest son. So six years ago now, actually. Um, they just happened to be playing... Um, Glasgow uh, just after my partner's 40th birthday and he's the world's biggest Suede fan ever mm-hmm. um, and so you know yeah the, the rest of the gig was nice they were great musicians yeah, but you yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. any of the songs and you know let's yeah. not pretend that everybody in that audience was not waiting for this one track to hit so yeah um, and, they, and they obviously they did it at the end yeah yeah they did because I've yeah. seen bands that all throw out I know Sinead O'Connor used to do that she do nothing just get nothing compares to you out the way yeah she would do it like second <laughs> And then just go, right, I know most of you wanted to hear this, so if you're not interested, particularly at festivals, you should go, right, you can leave now. So Dissuading <laughs> <laughs> like, the part-time fans. Cussing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been, uh, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for doing this. I really, thank really appreciate it. Uh, and all the best with uh, The Archer's book and... Is another novel coming? Or is it too scary to even think about that just now? No, I am starting finally to to work on another novel. I'm I'm doing some other things around Scabby Queen that I'm not allowed to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, But Scabby Queen is up for Scottish Book of the Year on Saturday, so very excited to hear about that. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm doing some more stuff around that that I'm not allowed to talk about. But I've got the beginnings of another novel coming finally, and it's quite an exciting place to be in. I'm going on a lot of long walks and making up people in my head to talk to. So, yeah. yeah, and how yeah. long? Just before I let you go, how long does the research take for a novel like yours? Because I know, like for Fishnet, you were it was about three years. You yeah, I worked, um, but that was my first book, um, mm-hmm. and because that was on sex work, and you know, I wanted to get that right. I was speaking to you know women who did those jobs yeah. um, specifically, and I maybe got over my head with the research. Um, I'm getting better at it. Scabby Queen took me half as long only took me a year and a half to write and I did a lot of it in my imagination Um, and a lot of it with you know um, I didn't do quite as rigorous so who knows maybe maybe I'll toss this one out in about six months or something (laughs) that's not going to happen well thanks Kirsten no thank you so much you too bye 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 And that's that. Episode 13 done. Thank you so much to Kirsten for being such an interesting and well-informed guest and providing some some cracking, cracking songs. As always, uh, Kirsten's playlist will be available on uh, the uh, 
item description, the Spotify link will be there for her playlist. Hopefully, by then, um, you know, Spotify won't have taken off every single decent musician uh, just to protect Joe Rogan. But who knows? It may be that Spotify from now on just becomes Joe Rogan talking shite for the rest of time. We don't know. I might need to find another platform to put all the playlists on. We'll see. Anyway, uh, keep listening to the podcast. Um, Keep subscribing if you possibly can. As I always ask, please, please, please leave us a five-star review if you can. And even better, write us a review. It really, really helps. Like I say, the numbers are going up every single time with the amount of people are listening to it week on week. Uh, I'd love to keep that going up. And the only way it's going to keep going up is if it gets exposed to more people which is where the five-star reviews and your written reviews come in. And, as always, the most important thing, tell people. If you know people that like this, this one is a fantastic... We talk about dance music, we talk about the history of dance music. This woman worked in the Archies, for fuck's sake. So if you know anyone that went to the Archies, if you know people that love dance music, please tell your friends and get them to listen in. Uh, follow Kirsten on all of her social media stuff. Follow me on all my social media stuff uh, got some cool stuff coming up soon I have a solo show a brand new work in progress solo show that will be at the stand in Glasgow on uh, Saturday March the 12th it's on at half five in the afternoon so it's a nice wee way to get drinking early and watch me scrabbling about with notes doing it'll be very very funny it'll be it'll be worked upon before then it's not just me going to go up with some half baked shite it will be very very good and tickets are only a tenner because it is a work in progress show um about quarter of the tickets are sold already so if you fancy that go to the stand.co.uk and you'll be able to find that it's on march the 12th at half past five at the stand in glasgow and i think that's it uh, i'll be back next time with another wonderful guest but before then i'll leave you with the words of janelle Monet, who said silence is our enemy and sound is our weapon See you next time. Bye-bye.